Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Last week on Now and Forever, Joy has become a tyrant to her co-workers, allowing her new position as first hygienist to go to her head. Dr. Victor Victor confessed his affections for the ambitious Olivia, while she told him that she had a secret about Joy. Will she betray her friend? Will Joy finally pay for her bad decisions? The answer to all these burning questions and more today on Now and Forever. This is thoughtful. To Joy, may your next season be filled with joy. That's weird, it doesn't say who it's from. Ah, I see you found the card. Victor, you got me this? Oh, you shouldn't have done that, that is way too kind. Oh, I insist. I mean, I'm flattered, but you didn't have to give me a card to congratulate me on my promotion. <laughs> oh, um, I think you misunderstood. That's not a congratulations card, it's a goodbye card. You know, good thoughts for this next journey of unemployment. Unemployment? How could you go around the office spreading all those lies about me running a toothbrush smuggling ring inside the office and then making a fake eBay page with my face on it? Uh, what? What are you talking about? Diago, I could never do that to somebody. Is that so? So you're telling me that you didn't deceive me into believing lies about my friend so that I would demote him and give you his job? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be that crazy. You would join Olivia? What are you doing? I tried to keep your little secret, but I told Victor everything. You were so horrible. So I told him all about how you tried to frame Diago and how I tried to stop you. Oh, seriously? Olivia, we both know it was your idea the whole time. Oh, so you did know about the okay, plan. Okay, all right, yeah, I admit, I did know about the plan, but it was Olivia's idea. She wanted Diago fired just as much as I did. Lies, it's all lies. And after everything I've tried to do for you, tried to be your friend, my friend? My friend would have my back and not try to steal the love of my life. Enough! I will not listen to you slander the name of my queen any longer. You are not fit to hold the title of dental hygienist. And your actions have caused nothing but chaos in this office. You're fired. Fired? But Victor, I- Diago's already placed all of your things outside. You are no longer welcome to set foot in this office. Goodbye, Joy. <laughs> What will happen to Joy out in the great, cruel world? Will she ever love again? Will she ever work again? Will Jamie ever get out of that office? 
find out next week on Now and Forever. All right, come on, put your hands together this morning. The drama continues. We are nearing the end of this story. This, has this been a helpful uh, series for you? How many of you have enjoyed this series now and forever? I love it. Uh, this has been a, a fun look at different seasons of our life and things that we walk through. And today, what I want to talk to you about is how to handle a season of failure. How to, how to handle failure. Have you ever had a picture of what you felt like your life should look like, but all you had were broken pieces? Come on, how many knows anything about that? Well, today is going to help us. I just believe it's going to encourage us. I could not wait to get to church this morning to be able to share this message with you. Say this after me. Say, I'm here not because I have to be, but because I want to be. Say, it's not a me thing. It's not a you thing. It's a Jesus thing. Say, I'm not perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, and you got a whole lot of issues yourself. Tell him we're going to talk about those issues today. Come on, say, we're not perfect, but we serve the one who is. Say, I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Help me not to leave like I came in Jesus' name. Now, if you believe that, put your 10-string instrument together this morning. Fantastic. Fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. As you're turning there, I do want to recognize... Uh, Operation Blessing. Dan is with us. And, uh, man, you guys have been so faithful from the beginning of the storm until now. This marks their, their final weekend to be with us. And you have facilitated hundreds of, of, of volunteers and people serving all throughout Livingston Parish. Dan, would you and your team, would you stand? Can we clap our hands and, and welcome and recognize? Dan, thank you so much for your service. I know they're going to be transitioning, but, uh, man, they have served us well. We want to talk about how to handle failure. Throughout this series, we talked about a waiting season. We talked about a a battling season. Last week, we talked about how to handle success. Uh, This week, I want to talk to you about how to handle failure. I think this is where a lot of times we get stuck. We get stuck in our mess. We get stuck in our issues. Sometimes we get bogged down in situations and circumstances that we don't know how to fix. I thought it'd probably be a good way to kick off this topic today and give you a little, who am I? Okay. I'm going to read to you a description of an individual and I want you to tell me who I'm talking about, success or failure. Here we go. Uh, teacher said that this guy was too dumb to learn anything. Uh, he was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. As an inventor, he made a thousand unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked, how did it feel to fail a thousand times, he replied, oh, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. Who am I talking about? If you said Thomas Edison, you're correct. How many of you said Thomas Edison? How many of you did not say Thomas Edison? <laughs> Got to go study a little bit. Okay. Second individual. This man went to war as a captain, but returned as a private. He failed as a businessman and a lawyer. So he turned to politics and he was defeated in his first try for the legislature. He lost in his first attempt to be nominated for Congress. He lost in his application to be commissioner of the general land office. He lost in Senate elections of both 1854 and 1858. He lost in his efforts for vice president in 1856. So he wrote a letter to a friend saying, 
I am now the most miserable man alive. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole of humanity, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Who am I talking about? If you said Abraham Lincoln, you are correct. Abe Lincoln, honest Abe. And finally, the third and the final, who am I? This person said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. That's why I succeed. Who am I talking about? If you said Michael Heyman, you're wrong. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay, think about it. Thomas Edison, Abraham Lincoln, Michael Jordan. They had to walk through a series of failures. How many of you would agree with me that they turned out pretty successful? Okay, okay, check this out. Now let's kind of shift gears and let's go biblical. If you've ever failed, you're in good company. Check this out. Adam sinned. Noah got drunk. Abraham doubted God. Jacob lied. Moses committed murder. Samson was sexually immoral. Solomon worshipped so many other gods. Elijah cowered in fear. Peter denied Christ. Thomas doubted Christ. All the disciples abandoned Christ. And the apostle Paul persecuted the church. How many of you know that if you're failing, you're in good company? If you've made a few mistakes in life, you're not alone. Welcome to the human race. Can I have a good amen? I just feel like we need to let the air out of the room because so many times we're afraid to fail. We're taught to avoid failure. Can I tell you something about failure? Failure is an event and not a person. Yesterday ended last night and today is a brand new day. Can I have a better amen? Oh, listen, listen, listen. Don't judge the story of my life by the chapter that you walked in on. How many of you know God's still writing the story? He's still got the pen in his hand. He's still authoring things in us and through us. Failure does not have to be fatal. In, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I want to read, and we've been tracking along with the life of David, and he is perhaps one of my all-time favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, we, we've looked at his life when he was in the sheep field and how the sheep field prepared him for the battlefield. If you were here last week, we talked about how he embraced success as the king of Israel with humility, with integrity, and with generosity. In, in today's message, and this is kind of a different message, I want to look at one of David's low points, at one of the epic failures in Scripture. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. How many of you are familiar with this? Okay, you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't even have to go to church or have a lot of Bible knowledge to know the story of David and Bathsheba. Let me give you some context before I read out of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Really, there's so, much, there, there's so many verses. I want to tell the majority of the story and then just pull out a few verses that will give us some talking points on how to walk through failure and how to handle low moments in our life and how to deal with sin. The scripture tells us in, in 2 Samuel 11 that as a time, at a time when kings go out to war, David stayed back. Okay, now, now there's an entire lesson in just that right there. Kings would lead their troops into battle during the spring of the year. David should have been on the battlefield leading his troops. Instead, he stayed back. Can I tell you this? When you're out of position, you fall into problems. Can I have a better amen? 
when, when you're not where you're supposed to be, if we just be, how many's ever been at the wrong place at the wrong time and you know wrong things start to happen? David was out of position. He should have been at war, but he's just kind of taking a walk. He's just strolling, looking at his kingdom, looking at all the, man, look at my vast domain and look at how powerful I am. And the scripture says that he sees a woman taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. Interesting, Bathsheba taking a bath. I wonder what they would have named her if she was mowing the lawn. You know, Bathsheba in a bath. I don't know. A lot of this I don't understand. She's outside taking a bath. David's kind of, ooh, wow, check her out. My goodness. Ask who is that lady? Bring her here. And you know the story. He sleeps with Bathsheba. He commits adultery. He takes another man's wife. Word gets back to him that she's pregnant. So what does David do? He's got to cover up his sin. So he says, well, well, who's your husband? Well, it's Uriah the Hittite. Bring him, bring him off the battlefield and let's get him home. Uriah, you look so tired. Won't you just go on home and be with your wife? Y'all two just get together. You just need to rest. And, you know, how many of you know that bad decisions are like dominoes? That one bad decision leads to another bad decision. You try to cover up this lie for the lie that you told before. Come on now. And David's life begins to move in a direction that's far from God. And so about a year goes by. And, and you, you know what happens. Uriah has so much integrity that he refuses to go home to his wife. He says, how can I leave my comrades on the battlefield because of my, my commitment to you and your honor? I will not do such a thing. And so David sends him back into battle with the instructions of the others. Hey, leave this man in the heat of the battle and let him die. So not only does David commit adultery, then he commits murder to cover it up and then brings Bathsheba into his kingdom. And the scriptures say that at that moment then, and in fact, consider this, a year, about a year goes by, okay, David's been living in sin and living under a lie for about a year until the prophet comes to him one day. Nathan is the prophet and he comes to David and instead of just kind of straight up confronting him, he appeals to David's sense of justice. I hope you have friends in your life who will hold you accountable. How many of you know accountability is not a bad thing? It's a good thing. In fact, you know, I've told some people, listen, if you're not holding me accountable, you're holding me back. I pray that you have people that love you enough and are sensitive enough to the call of God on your life that they owe it to you, not to just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. And, and the prophet Nathan goes to David and says, listen, let me tell you a story. There, there was a rich man that had a lot of sheep and a lot of cattle. And then there was a poor man that had one little lamb, one little sheep. In fact, he loved that sheep so much, treated it like it was a part of his family. That little lamb ate out of his own bowl, was treated as one of his own children. Well, the rich man threw a party. And instead of using his lambs to sacrifice, he stole the one little lamb from that poor man. And David was upset. He said, that man should die. In fact, he should pay four times. Everybody say four times. That's important. We'll get back to that in just a minute. He should pay four lambs for the one that he stole. And the prophet looked at David and said, David, you are that man. David's confronted with his own sin. The very lowest point of his leadership up until this moment. And let's look at how David responds. Okay, I want to talk to you about how to handle failure. 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse 13. Scripture says this, then David confessed... He confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. 
And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Now, in this narrative, I want to give you three specific movements, three three specific words that are going to guide our discussion for how to handle failure, how to handle sin. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the word confession. Confession. Notice what David did. The scripture says when he was confronted, he confessed. Can I just tell you this? If you mess up, fess up. If you blow it, own it. If you have fallen into sin, if you've made a mistake, take responsibility for the mistake that you made. How many of you know people appreciate honesty? Uh, You know, it's amazing to me how honestly we train our kids to be honest. We expect honesty from our kids. In fact, I can remember my mom had a way of bringing complete honesty out of us when we were little. You know, and you know how it is, kids, when you're caught doing something, how many of you know your kids get really creative? They can think of some some really creative ways to squirm off the hook of responsibility. My mom used to say this. She called me and she knew I was doing wrong. How many know mama knows? Mama knows. I don't know how she knows, but God speaks to mama. She'd say, Mike, I want to ask you a few questions. And I'm thinking, oh, yes, I got this. I, got, I know exactly what I'm going to say. Man, I can get super creative. She'd say, Mike, in front of Jesus, I want to ask you a few questions. I'm like, oh, for, for real? Why you got to throw Jesus up in the mix? Come on, somebody. I mean, that kind of ruined everything for me. Now I get this picture of Jesus seated on this throne, and he's got fire in his eyes. He's got this scepter in his hands. And in front of Jesus, Michael, I want to ask you a few questions. People appreciate honesty. Why is it that when you go into a court of law, before you give testimony, you have to lay your hand on this book? And you say, I promise to tell what? Now, why can't we just stop there at the truth? Listen, if it's true, it's true. How many of you know truth needs no help? But we say, no, no, I promise to tell the truth, the what? The whole truth and? Why do we have to qualify what the truth is? You know why? Because we've gotten so good at taking truth and bending it and twisting it. And we'll leave parts of it out. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. The prophet looked at David and said, you are that man. And at that moment, what was David's response? He could have made excuses. He could have tried to justify. Instead, he took full responsibility. You know what I think? I was talking to a lady this morning. She's been married for 50 years, sits right up here at the 9 o'clock service in the back row of this raised seating. And I was talking to her about 50 years of marriage. Rachel and I have been married 20 years. I said, tell me, how can we make it another 30 years? What's the glue that keeps a marriage together? You know what she said? Forgiveness. I thought, wow, that's powerful. You know what will keep you married for 50 years? Learning to say, I'm sorry. Why don't you turn that person next to you and just tell them, hey, I'm sorry. In fact, look, tell them this. Say, hey, say, I was wrong. Say, I'm sorry. Lean over and say, would you please forgive me? You know, I've told Rachel a thousand times, 10,000 times I've told her I love you. You know what I've had to say about 10 million times? I'm sorry. Why is it that it's so difficult for us at times to 
admit when we're wrong and ask the forgiveness of those whom we've wronged. Come on now. You see, Rachel and I, when, when, when we're in an argument, we have conflict. We know exactly what the source of our conflict is. It's me. <laughs> Just easy. She's saying amen, though. <laughs> David confessed. He acknowledged he was wrong. You know, think about it. You know some of these athletes that are, are, are uh, accused of using, like, performance-enhancing drugs? You know, I mean, consider this. Accusations go around. Sometimes these guys are like, no, I've not been dope, and I've not used any of that stuff. Man, man, I've been clean. I train hard. I work hard. And then when it comes out after the fact that they've been lying the whole time, how many of you know public approval of those? They just, wait a second. No, no, no. Take him out of the sport. Take away all of his achievements. There's no grace or mercy for somebody who won't admit it when they're wrong. Think about it. It's not just the sin. It's the deception. How many of you know we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God? Nobody's coming up in here today saying, man, I'm without sin. How many of you know nobody in this building is without sin? Let me tell you something about your preacher. Your pastor falls short. This is not just a message where I'm trying to, oh, all of you evil, wicked people, clean up your nasty lives and become more like Jesus, like me. Listen, this thing, it it reaches my life, my world, each and every day. I have to own, if I mess up, I have to fess up and say, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned against you. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Look at what Proverbs says, Proverbs 28, 13. When you, watch what happens. Scripture says, he who covers his sin, see, that's the deception. He that covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? Somebody say mercy. How many of you are grateful for mercy? You see, grace is not deserving what you get. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. How many of you know what we deserve is judgment? But when we confess our sins, what we get is mercy. The scripture says when we confess and forsake. That word confess means to acknowledge. It means making no excuses, no blaming, no justifying. Now, 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 here's what's interesting, and, and Brother Wayne, I thought about you whenever I was studying the, the, the life of David and even thinking about the life of Saul, and, and I don't want to get off track here, but many of you know Saul, King Saul was the first king of Israel, and the Bible says he wasn't completely obedient to the Lord whenever he defeated the Amalekites. The, the, the prophet told him he was supposed to co- consecrate the entire group, but Saul didn't. He disobeyed God. And when the prophet confronted him, you know what Saul did? Saul tried to justify himself, tried to make excuses. He didn't take full responsibility. And you know what it cost him? The kingdom. But listen, David's sin, and and if you're going to compare, it seems like David's sin is far greater than Saul's. David committed adultery and he committed murder. But yet David's response when he's confronted was different than Saul's. Isn't that fascinating? It seems like Saul's sin was far less and David's sin was far greater. But the response of these two men to their confrontation, it was totally different. And yet you hear about David and David is still considered a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you, the the beautiful thing about confession is this. Confession gives us the opportunity to be forgiven. When you don't confess sin, you know what it forces you to do? 
carry it yourself. And guess what it creates? It creates regret. It creates guilt. It creates condemnation. I wonder how many people fill churches across America every single week, and they're not free from guilt, from regret, or from condemnation. You see, the best way to to be able to experience the mercy of God is to just be honest with what you've done. Can I have a better amen? Hey, here's a beautiful promise, okay? Consider this. 1 John 1, 9. I love this word. And this is because repentance is not a dirty word. Confession is not a bad word. It's one of the most beautiful practices that believers need to walk through. We don't just confess to get saved and then we stop confessing. You know, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, the Bible says, and then we're saved. How many of you know that we need to continue to practice honesty and repentance all along the way? Somebody say, well, I got saved back in 1972 and I confessed before the Lord. Can I tell you, from 1972 to now, you probably committed a whole lot of sin. It's a practice. And here, here's the good news. 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says this. If we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful and he's just to do what? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness, all unrighteousness. Can I have a good amen? You see, it hinges on our ability to be honest. If we'll just own up when we mess up, we can bring our sin to God. And you know what God does? He's faithful to forgive. And forgive means he removes the punishment. And cleanse means he removes all the impurities and all the pollution. Aren't you glad we don't have to carry the punishment or the pollution of our sin? That what was, what, what was required of us was laid on Jesus. Because we say, I did it. I admit it. I quit it. So forget it. Isn't that beautiful? You confess and forsake and there's mercy. You know, when the kids were small, Michaela was just a baby. In fact, Michaela had a birthday yesterday. She turned 14 years old. We're excited celebrating that girl. She got a cell phone. She's big time now. And, uh, but when KK was small, and Rachel, she had to run some errands years ago. It's just Michaela. I don't think Trevor was born. And, uh, you know, so, so Rachel's like, hey, keep, keep a close eye on the girls. Watch Michaela. Keep your eye on Michaela. I'm like, babe, I got this. I got this. Come on, fellas. How many know we don't babysit our own kids? Right? All the mamas said? Come on, we're parents. Baby, trust me. I got this. And so Rachel leaves, and so I'm there with the girls. And I must have been so caught up cleaning the house. I think I was scrubbing floors, and maybe I was doing laundry. I just get really, I like a clean house. I, I just get eager to clean when Rachel's gone. And you know, there, I'm sure there was no football game on TV whatsoever, no sporting event. And so I just got kind of caught up in chores. And, you know, Kayla got away from me. And, and I hear Alexa, she runs around the corner. She says, Daddy, uh-oh, Daddy, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm like, what, 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 what? She said, it's KK. I'm like, where is she? Where is she? He's over there. So I run around the corner, and there Michaela is. She's stripped down, buck naked, got not a stitch of clothes on. She found a permanent marker, and she thought that marker was lipstick. And she, She's all over, all over her body, and she, she's standing there, buck naked, permanent marker. She's got all over her face, her body, and she said, Daddy, I'm pretty. 
I'm like, Michaela, I'm a dead man. It's permanent. I'm checking the walls. What else is she marked up? Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is not good. I thought about that. You know, there's not a sin. There's not a guilt. There's not a stain on your life that's permanent that the love of Jesus can't wash, can't cleanse, can't totally erase as if it never happened. Listen, you give too much credence to your sin and you underestimate the power of God's forgiveness. Man, there's, there's no depth of guilt or shame that the grace of God, the mercy of God, the, the goodness of God can't reach down and find it. Somebody say confession. Now look at what it says, verse 11. Now, it, it, shifting gears. Here's, here's the second movement in this passage. Now this is going to be kind of tough, but I want you to dial in. Look at verse 11. So David confesses, but here's, here's what the Lord says, verse 11. Because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I'll give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he'll go to bed with them in public view. You did this secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. The second thing, number two, I want you to write down the word consequences. It starts with confession, but I want you to see this part of the process. I think it's important that all of us, we understand boundaries and consequences. Boundaries and consequences. You got to know where the boundaries are. You you, you have to. I mean, think about it. You're going to play a football game. You got to know where the, hey, this is the sidelines. You know, here's the sideline. There's the the goal line. We got to frame in the playing field of where it counts most. This is out of bounds. If you go this direction, this is out of bounds. I mean, think about it. Whenever God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said you can eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden except for one. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, if you, that tree is out of bounds. How many of you know that when parents set boundaries, kids test those boundaries? The very thing that you set, if you say, hey, here's the line, don't cross this line. As a kid, what does a kid want to do? Is that really the line? I'm not so sure that's the line. How many of you have strong-willed kids? Come on, wave at me just for a second. You got strong-willed kids. Keep your hand up just for a second. Lord Jesus, I pray for these moms and dads. Now, let me tell you something about strong-willed kids, though. If you can get them stubborn about the right things, your strong-willed kids will change the world. So don't, don't, don't try to take that stubbornness away. We just got to bend and shape and direct some of that. But as parents, when you set boundaries, the very first thing your kids will do is test those boundaries. I remember when, the, again, kids are younger. Alexa, she came to me. She said, Daddy, I'm hungry. I want some chips. So I go to the pantry, and I'm trying to get her some chips. And we got all this healthy stuff. How many got healthy stuff at your house? How many know that healthy stuff's got no taste whatsoever? It may be gluten-free and, you know, non-GMO and all-organic and hormone-free and all-natural. But how many know that means bitter tastes? Good for, uh, good for you. But so I'm getting all this, you know, how about this? How about that? No, Daddy, no, Daddy. She said, I want some greasy chips. I'm like, okay. <laughs> now we're talking. So I found a little snack pack of Cheetos. Come on. Extra cheesy Cheetos. She's like, yes. I'm like, good. Okay. Here's the rule. You're going to eat these Cheetos. You got to stay in the kitchen. Okay? Do not leave 
They, I didn't want greasy Cheeto fingers all over. The, you're going to stay right here in this kitchen. Now, in our house at the time, there was a threshold on the floor that distinguished between the kitchen and the living room. There was that little wooden bar right there so that you could dis- distinctly see one room or the other. So she's eating her bag of Cheetos, got eye all over her face, I mean, just all over her hands and face and everything, walks right up to that line <laughs> and looks at me and smiles. That girl is smart, I'm telling you. She knew exactly what she was doing. Eating her Cheetos, smiling at me. She sees that line right there. You know what she did? She takes one step. Like, okay, Dad, what you going to do now? Because in her mind, she's rationalized this. Okay, you said not to go into the living room. Well. Is that really the boundary? Because I've got one foot in the living room, but you can't spank me because I got one foot back here in the kitchen. Come on, somebody. How many know she gets that from her mama? (laughs) Wait a second. What what are we going to do? I told you. No, no. We keep the greasy chips in the kitchen. Isn't that just like human nature? I'm telling you, you see it play out in your kids. But you know, it's true even in your own heart. When God says, hey, here's the playing field. This is what holiness looks like. Here are the boundaries. Don't step out of bounds because when you do, there are consequences. Parents, we would be terrible to our children if we always removed consequences. If we don't let consequences do their work, our kids never learn. You see, we can confess before God, but eventually we've got to embrace the consequences of our decisions. Can I tell you this? You can trust God even in the middle of consequences. It's like the, the father that, that was warning his son and finally, you know, he just said, okay, enough is enough. Took his boy out to the parking lot and was just wearing him out, just beating his behind. And here comes this lady swinging with an umbrella. She was swinging, waving that umbrella. She was yelling, child abuse, child abuse. And the boy stops in mid-scream and looks up at his dad and says, gee, dad, what's wrong with her? <laughs> How many of you know kids need boundaries? And when they cross boundaries, it's consequences that do their work. Can I have a better amen? Amen. Let me tell you, and please hear the heart of your pastor on this. God will use consequences not to pay you back, but to bring you back. God's not trying to punish you. Listen, he already punished Jesus for you. God sent Jesus to die on a cross for you. The wages of sin is death. The punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin is death. But the gift of God is Jesus himself who took upon your punishment, my punishment. He suffered on the cross. So God's not using consequences to punish you. He's not trying to pay you back for something that you've done. He's trying to bring you back and instruct you out of it. Does that make sense this morning? Listen, one of the famous psalms that David writes in this episode with Bathsheba, when he's confronted and he embraces his actions and he brings it before the Lord, listen to what he says in Psalm 51. This whole chapter is beautiful. It is. It is is so heart just bare before the Lord. 
gut level honest. This is what David writes. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. He finishes by saying, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And watch this. Your judgment against me is just. You know what David's saying? Lord, whatever consequences that my actions have created, I trust that it's fair and it's just. It's not for me to try to manage. God, I can't clean up what I've messed up. I throw myself at your mercy. And God, I embrace whatever my consequences might be. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, did God forgive them? You better believe it. God killed an animal and took the skin of that animal and he covered their nakedness. But you know what the sovereign loving father had to do? He had to remove them from the garden. So, I mean, consider the prodigal son. The prodigal had to find a pig pen before he got a revelation Man, I've left, the, I've left the house. i got to get back to the Father's house. And guess what he was met with when he came back home? Not judgment, not condemnation. It was love and compassion. But you know, you never read that the, that the son got his inheritance back. You never read that. See, consequences are a part of God's way of instructing us. Look what Hebrews 12.10 says. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. In fact, it is painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceable harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Can I tell you, God, a loving father, will allow consequences to do their work to produce holiness in us and to instruct us moving forward. Does that make sense? I want to ask the band to come up. And, and remember, when Nathan confronted David about the, the story of the rich man and the poor man and how the rich man stole the, the one little sheep from the poor man, David said, you know what? He ought to pay four lambs back. Four. You know, when you study David's life, guess what? David lost four sons. Think about it. The first son to Bathsheba died. Absalom, when he rebelled against his father, he ended up getting killed. Amnon, when he took advantage of his sister, he raped his sister, he was killed. And then right before Solomon became king, Adonijah tried to take the throne and he was killed too. David lost four sons. Think about it. The very judgment he said should happen, he had to walk through himself. Let me tell you this. Whatever consequences are being arranged, you can trust a loving God even in the midst of those consequences. If you'll confess before him, you just be completely honest. And then you embrace the consequences of those choices. Let me tell you where you can end up. The third thing is this. You can end up in a place of confidence. Confidence. 
Somebody say confidence. Consider this. I'm fast forwarding through so much. There, there's so much here. But let me give you this, this, this final thought as it relates to David's failure. Jesus is born into the world. He's the answer to the sin problem that we've been talking about. And the, the, the gospel writer of Matthew begins to give the lineage of Jesus, which was so important to give your lineage, to tell where you're from, the, the history, where you came from, your, your people. That was such an honorable thing. And to trace the lineage of Christ, Matthew says it this way in verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now, come on. Matthew just kind of told it all, didn't he? Now, Matthew, you could have left some of that stuff out. Why you just don't say the, the son of David? No, no, no. He went Bathsheba and even brought in Uriah. I love that about God because God knows all of the, the dirty secrets he knows the worst moments. He knows the most embarrassing, shameful things that we've done. And he says this, if you'll confess to me, if you'll embrace confidence, I can restore all of that. I'll redeem it and I'll use it as a part of my purpose in the earth today. You see, when it comes to failure, consider this. Look at the cross. I'm sure when Jesus hung on the cross that everybody thought that that was Christianity's biggest failure. But really the cross was heaven's greatest success. It was because of what Jesus did for us. Every failure, every shortcoming, every sin, all the guilt, all the shame, all the pain, everything that our human lives create, Jesus says, I'll take it upon myself. And if you'll surrender to me, if you'll trust me, I'll redeem all of it. I'll tell you this, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, God says, I've not changed my mind about you. How do you handle failure? You got to give it to the Lord. And you trust him with it. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.